that's what the, the coolest thing about sobriety is. I was telling a kid this today. It's like when I was using, I can tell you with absolute certainty what I am doing today, tomorrow, the next day, the day before. I can tell you that. But with sobriety, I have no idea what can happen tomorrow. That was Jed Payne, and this is the Share Podcast. It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Share Podcast. And today we have Jed Payne joining us on the show. And Jed is the host of Church and Other Drugs, and his story is truly unbelievable. The best part is that even though, for all intents and purposes, this man should be dead, he not only has recovered and living a life in recovery, he is now working as a drug and alcohol counselor at a treatment center. In this episode, we watch Jed's life turn around full circle. It's a hell of a ride. So let's dive into Jed's story, but first, a quick message from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by ShareSpace, the empowerment network. If you're at a crossroads in your life and have come to the realization that you need a change, a real change in your life, it could be that you've lost confidence in yourself. It could be that no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to find the way to stop drinking. On the outside, it looks like everything's fantastic. Maybe you've got a great career, a beautiful marriage, beautiful kids, and yet you're unhappy. Maybe you worry more about what other people think about you than how you think about you, how you see yourself. If you've dug a hole for yourself and you just can't seem to find your way out, then share space may just be the perfect place for you. My name is Omar Pinto. I'm the host and the founder of the Share Podcast and the founder of ShareSpace, the Empowerment Network. I'm a recovery coach and a life coach. I have 20 years of business experience, 15 years of recovery experience, and 47 years of life experience. I help people reclaim their identity, tap into their authenticity, and rediscover their purpose in life. For more information and for a 15-minute free, no-obligation consultation with me, go to www dot sharespace.net. Remember, share is spelled S-H-A-I-R and sign up today to find out if ShareSpace is the right fit for you. ShareSpace, it's time to believe in yourself again. And for those of you that are looking for the perfect recovery gift to give to yourself or to a friend in recovery, then go to www.allrecoveryrings.com. At All Recovery Rings, you can have any recovery medallion beautifully transformed into a ring you can wear on your finger. All you need to do is select the medallion of your choice, submit your ring size, and All Recovery Rings will create the perfect ring for you. So go to www.allrecoveryrings.com and order your recovery ring today. And if you'd like to support the Share Podcast by making a donation, then go to the website www.thesharepodcast.com. Remember to spell share, S-H-A-I-R. Go to the top right corner of the website where it says donate or click on any of the yellow donate buttons throughout the website and make your donation today. And for those of you who love listening to the Share Podcast and want to enhance your recovery, then join us in our Share Facebook private group, the Share Recovery Network. In this free Facebook private group, you will meet 
thousands of people in recovery that are loving, caring, and being of service. If you're struggling in your recovery or you're struggling in life, then this might be the perfect place for you. The purpose of the Share Recovery Network is to discuss recovery in all of its facets, in all of its pathways, in a way that is attractive and all-inclusive. So to join us in this Facebook private group, go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in S-H-A-I-R, Recovery Network, and our private Facebook group will pop right up. So join us today. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's one of the best ways to show your support for the podcast. Now a quick message from Transitions Daily and then on to the show. Would you like to join a free anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Then go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Hey, Jed, thanks for joining us. Uh, what's up, Bo? No problem. Uh, I'm excited to have you on the show, buddy. How you feeling, man? I'm good, man. I thought I was getting uh, sick today, but I'm just mentally uh, telling myself I'm not. <laughs> Flu's going around. <laughs> I hate it, man. I can't stand being sick. Oh, I hear you. You know, I don't, I hate, uh, what I hate is taking cold medicine. Yes. Number, yeah. one, number one, I already feel like shit and I'm already not a hundred percent. Then I take some kind of cold medicine and then I'm like at 50%, right? And you know, there was a time in my life where that was fun and today that ain't it. Oh, I know. And every time I go, there's this one urgent care I go to and every time no matter how many times I tell him I'm a drug addict, he gives me syrup every time, <laughs> every single time. Yeah, this isn't going to affect your clean time. Just go ahead. Just take this stuff. Just, yeah, just he's like, it. oh, okay, good. I'm, I'm glad you're sober. Uh, so here's this Tussinex. <laughs> they want to get you out of there as quickly as humanly possible. Yes. That is the goal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so folks, today we have Jed Payne joining us on the Share Podcast. Jed is the host of Church and Other Drugs, and uh, I had the honor of being featured on that podcast. Uh, I think it was episode number 34, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, that, 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 that sounds right. Excellent, excellent. All right, so let's dive right in, buddy. So first of all, Jed, tell us what your normal daily routine looks like, including recovery. Today, well, I just actually started, um, okay, well, I wake up. This time in recovery, I started the habit of uh, I hit my knees, say a quick prayer, um, brew the coffee. I just started drinking bulletproof coffee. That's where it's at. Dude, it's delicious, it's too. Where, it's where it's at. <laughs> um, drive to work, man. I just switched jobs. I actually started. Uh, I am a counselor in training at an um, adolescent treatment center for substance abuse. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's what I've been working for. So it's it's pretty tight. I literally just started like uh, a month ago. Oh my god, dude, that is fantastic! Yeah. yeah. Any any interesting stories since you've been there? Oh my god, uh, too many, <laughs> too many. Well, I mean, like I think my first week there, I had to um, strip search a kid, and we found a, he was hiding a lighter up his butt. Oh, so dude. that I was like, well, you know, this is gonna be fun. Yeah, I can't, you know, I don't even know if it's more like being a jail warden or... Uh... It's a little bit of that. I mean, they're, they're, it's 14 to 17-year-olds. Okay. Adolescent boys, dude. Like That is something just special. Just straight something special. Yeah. 
it's straight i think the first week i was there i uh i called my mom and i was just like i'm so sorry like for yeah. what i i know i've said it before <laughs> but so sorry for what i did back then i so get it dude i so get it you know yeah I just finished, I was working at uh, Costa Rica Recovery for about four months, and uh, it is a trip, dude. It is It is a trip, you know? I mean, there is that huge dichotomy between, you know, the amazing amount of service work that we do and helping other people, and then just the absolute stress and feeling of, like, dude. overwhelmed and just, like, do these people even give a shit that's do they it. even want to hear anything I have to say? You know, so and I'm, I'm a I'm a big uh, empathetic person, and um, I'm a bleeding heart man. So I really take on these people's uh, problems as my own. So it's like that's pretty much what I've been. My main thing this this first year is gonna be learning how to like separate. Yeah, you you you, you have to, you have to because you get real close with these guys. Um. And it's cool at first, but then the addict mm-hmm. comes out of them, and then they start yes. to, you know, hey, you know, do I really have to do this? You think you can pull some strings? You know, then you start hearing that kind of shit, and you're like, uh-oh, I did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, cool. We'll dump into that. We'll jump into that a little bit later as we get closer to the end of your story. But uh, how much clean time do you have, and when is your anniversary date? My uh, birthday is... September 23rd of 2014, so a little over three years. Excellent. Yeah, you just celebrated three years. Yeah. Awesome. That's very awesome. All right. Um, And what's your spiritual practice? Do you have a a regular spiritual? I usually like to ask my guests, you know, how they maintain their spiritual condition. Do you have like a spiritual practice or how does that look for you? I do. So I'm a practicing Christian, so um, I got my... uh, I do half and half church in AA. So I got um, my church on Sundays. I have a small group on Wednesdays and uh, I have a little like read through the Bible in a year app. So I do that every morning. And then uh, that's like what my prayer life is centered around. Excellent. So, cool. Yeah, that's that's a huge part. Yeah, huge I, part. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know why such people. Well, it's I'm not going to know what <laughs> I'm not going to say why I'm not going to say I'm just going to say that, you know, it it. it the spiritual component has been the single most important element to my recovery. Um, yeah. I remember early on struggling so badly um, and then doing what they told me to do, you know, just pray. Just pray, ask for guidance. Just pray, ask for help. Just pray, you know, just pray. You know what I mean? Hit your knees, that kind of a thing. And yeah, at first it's awkward and it's weird. But then shit just starts to move, man. Like exactly. Once, just, once you get that first result, yes, that's and it. it's like, oh my god, like there's something out there. Yeah, and that's just like it's just something that you know it takes a while to cultivate. But once you get there, if you're honest about it, like if you're open minded and willing, then the miracles will happen. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I love hearing that because you know I think more people need to hear that. And, and what's hilarious to me, especially nowadays, are people that are like, I'm not going to pray, but like, I'll go consult my crystals under the moonlight and stuff. It's <laughs> like, like, come on, dude. Like, like, it's that ridiculous. I think that's where people get tripped up. The, the biggest thing I tell my guys is because everyone's got this idea of monks praying in this crazy formal thing. And I'm like, look, man, 
when you feel like using, just say, Hey guy, like, can you help me not want to use? Like, that's a prayer. Like, just talk to him like you're talking to anyone else, man. It does not have to be this thing. That's exactly right. And, but even the crystals thing, if they can connect with that, I don't give a shit what you're praying to, right? You could be praying to a pile of rocks or crystals or whatever the case may be. If you believe that there is a entity, a power, a universe, something stronger, higher, bigger that can help me, then it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Cause I, I, you know, I'm not a oh, person yeah. that buys into, into organized religion, but the spiritual component is me and my higher power and that's it, man. And I do it every single morning. I say, God help me. You know what I mean? Help me yeah. get through the day, you know, help me be the best version of myself, you know, help me get out of my own way, you know, um, and help the most amount of people. Right. And, and I get intuitively guided, which is, which is very cool. So I, I, I always encourage people, dude, if you can catch on to this, it'll change your life. It will, oh yeah. It will and and I'd, I'd always try to make clear that, uh, that while I have like a specific idea of my higher power and stuff, like it's whatever, man, that's, that's literally just for me. And I don't, uh, push it on anyone, which exactly. a lot of people, use that as the excuse of like, well, I don't want to be religious. Like, well, you don't have to be religious. It's you, you know, when somebody is just using it as an excuse, I've noticed that too, because I give them every conceivable out so that it has to remove all the dogma and stigma attached to religion, all of it. And still they backpedal. So, you know, they're just looking for an excuse, right? Because they know that's the easiest way to say, you know, I would, I would really work this program if it wasn't for that. And, right. And, and there's no way to prove or disprove that element. So, right. you know, I mean, I, that's going to be the toughest part. And then I'm like, all right, well, I'll catch you later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> see you in a little bit. All right. So tell us, Jed what it was like the first time you drank or used drugs and more importantly, how they made you feel before we dive into your story. Yeah. So the first time I drank was uneventful. Um, I think I was camping. Me and my friend were camping with both of our dads and they were drinking beer. Like, Hey, can we have a sip? And they're like, yeah. And they thought it was funny and I thought it was disgusting. So that wasn't really uh, eventful. Um, first time I smoked weed, also uneventful um you know who knows i probably wasn't inhaling and all that jazz probably wasn't doing it right um my first moment um where i was like oh my gosh this is like what drugs are or this is what a high experience was was on a triple c's dxm cough medicine (laughs) ironically speaking of being sick uh (laughs) that was my first like holy shit this is this is incredible. Like, I want to do this. <laughs> dude, I've heard horror stories about that DMX shit or DXM shit. Yeah. Whatever, dude. <laughs> sorry, sorry, DMX. So the the <laughs> DXM, like, I, and I only know about that 12 years into recovery, right? maybe even longer. Uh, yeah, like 12 oh, yeah. years into recovery where somebody was asking, somebody was telling me about their son. They'd emailed me about their son who was taking, who was on the DXM cough medicine. Yep. I'm like, what? Is that? that was that was our generation thing for sure? Wow, for sure. It. All right, Jed, you're all warmed up, buddy. So it's time for me to yeah, turn man. the show over to you. It's time for you to share your story, the battle with drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life. 
when you hit rock bottom, and then finally your journey into recovery up until today. So, Jed, take it away, brother. So I think I'll I think I'll frame it. So um, leading up to my first treatment, and then I'll just fast forward to my last. I think that'll be the easiest way because. Because there's a lot, huh? Oh, my God. But don't miss Eight, any of the 18. stuff you told me in our last interview because that was good shit, dude. Oh, yeah. I try to do – there's always new things, so I try to find the – All right. <laughs> well, okay, bring the new stuff. Bring the new stuff. So so I was raised in a very religious home. Uh, it was a guy – like, I've had an awesome childhood. No no complaints. But I was always a super sensitive kid. Um, probably had some anxiety stuff from the get-go. And – what I remember about my religious upbringing was, was just that God, uh, that I'm a sinner. God punishes sin and I do sinful things, especially related to sex. That was, I don't know if that's what I was told. That's just what I heard. And that's what was like ingrained in me. So that was kind of my baseline. So I've always had this just guilt, just mm, this vague guilt. Yep. I, I know um, exactly. I'm very familiar with that one. Yes. So that like came to a head when I was about 11 and I developed this like anxiety disorder where I would um like <laughs> like I would sniff out of my nose and I would uh blink my eyes kind of mm. like facial tics. Okay, yeah. And I got misdiagnosed with Tourette's syndrome and they put me on this hardcore antipsychotic medicine when I was 11. So kind of how my mom was 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 the type where, where like if you're sick you go to the doctor, you take a pill. There's something wrong with me emotionally. I went to the psychiatrist. So I've been seeing psychiatrists and therapists since I was 10 or 11. Um, so it wasn't until um, I started doing drugs that the relief finally came. That was really the only thing that slowed my mind down or like let me take my mind in a direction I wanted it to go. Right. But I still had this like religious Christian mentality. So like my friends were using moderately. Um, but I had this idea that I knew or I thought that one day I was going to quit because I knew what I was doing was wrong. So I better just get everything in like quickly. Like my friends are, you know, they're using, they're just smoking daily because they're planning on doing this the rest of their life. I'm going to need to like snort cocaine because I'm going to have to stop this party like when I'm 21. <laughs> so that was, <laughs> so the delusions started very early, right? Well, it's nice when you can plan well, ahead though. Isn't it though? Like I had a, I had a, I had a six-year plan. <laughs> the cocaine, the six-year cocaine plan. Well, and I remember. So we got into, uh, we watched Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. We started listening to like Modest Mouse and Widespread Panic. Got into mushrooms and acid and you know experiment stuff. And then on my my fifteenth birthday, my friend brought over cocaine, and I, I remember him to this day. He was like, "Now, Jed." this isn't like other drugs. It's not just something. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever, man. Cool. It's just like weed. Sure. Whatever. And uh, so that was the first time I did cocaine. And that started a run where um, that was the first time I started stealing to, to support my habit. And so I was completely flying under the radar because I had an older sister and she was going through her rebellious phase. And I was such a goody two shoes up to that point that my parents just didn't even think to look for any kind of signs that I was screwing up and, you know, there was still like if stuff was missing around the house, they just thought it was missing. Like the level of trust was still there. And then I had my first overdose, which should, you know, the red flags are just all over the place. Mm -hmm. Right. So I had my first overdose at 15 with Benadryl. Benadryl? Benadryl. Yeah. 
there might there i'm sure there's some people out there that know what i'm talking about that like i said is my generation man ironically i my mom caught me with weed she started drug testing me so i went to the internet and found things that wouldn't show up on a drug test that you can get high off of mm. so that kind of uh, you know that kind of took me down a path like quitting wasn't an option i had to get high but i had to find stuff that <laughs> wouldn't show up right genius so that was rehab number one um wound me up in an outpatient but it was just me and all my friends so we just kind of you know it was kind of a joke you know we just it was somewhere to go hang out after school things escalated um because once you start getting into that world i got introduced to na but my sponsor ended my quote sponsor ended up asking me to buy him weed so i was like oh so this 12-step thing is a big joke so this was like my introduction to the world of recovery which was not a good one right not at all dude in my 14 years in narcotics anonymous i have yet to have one of my anyone you know ask me to cop dope for him (laughs) Yeah, my sponsor. <laughs> that sucks, dude. That sucks because, you know, I mean, what are the odds? Because that's a very and, – and I, I'm sure now you know that that shit doesn't – that's not a norm. No, no. You know? and but it's, what a you know, horrible be- first experience. Oh, dude. Well, it was because I looked for the guy I thought was the coolest. And there at that go. time, in that mindset, the coolest was like the dude in the very back, like mm-hmm. dressed in all black. I was like, that guy. He looks <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so using escalated in, in high school. And this is when I started to notice that I was diverging from my friends. Um, people were starting to want to hang out with me less and less. Um, and things got bad enough that I needed to go to an inpatient treatment. So this was my, I was 16 going on 17, my senior year. And I got put on a waiting list, a four month waiting list. And so during that time, I was like, well, I got four months left to do what I want to do. So I was like, well, I've never done heroin. So I want to go try to find some heroin logically. Right. And I was like, but I'm just going to snort it. And I found someone to give me heroin. And they were like, well, you should just shoot it up. And I was like, okay. And I let them shoot me up. And so by the time I got to my first inpatient, I absolutely needed to be there. Mm, Right. Right. So I finished there. It was a fundamentalist. Christian treatment center in uh, the mountains of North Carolina. They did like exorcisms and very intense. It was very interesting. It was a very unique experience. I'll just, I'll just call it that. It was unique. Actual exorcism. Yeah. They called it deliverance class. Get the fuck out of here. So I've t- <laughs> Dude, that I've is crazy. Basically every method. Possible. Oh my God. Do you want to hear how they did it? Bring it, dude. Because all I kept, all I just, I just fast forward, please, because I started thinking about that fucking movie Deliverance. So, so, you know. <laughs> so, so it, it was weird. Like, yeah, no, it wasn't like that. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Give us better details. So they, they, you go in a classroom and everyone's sitting down and they give you a CD player and you put the headphones on and it's like an eight hour pre recorded track of, the pastor like screaming at you in tongues. If you've ever heard someone speak in tongues no. or like, it's just like, blah, 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 like crazy shit. Dude, really? so, you, you, you can't make this I'm, shit I'm, up. I'm being dead serious. Oh my, so, what the fuck? What you're what's supposed to happen is when you start to feel something, you're supposed to raise your hand. The pastor will come over 
and a couple other people will come over and they'll start praying over you. And so I thought I felt something and I raised my hand and the pastor came over. And the only thing I'll say about the experience is that when he put his hand on my back, his hand felt like super hot. Like I did not like him touching my back. That's kind of the only like supernatural thing I'll say that like happened with that experience. Um, I did see some people, you know, I don't know. I saw there was some crazy stuff. I did see some some stuff. Like I don't think it's all. I don't know, man. It was int- it's a unique experience. I'll just leave it at that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what else, man? <laughs> this is crazy. Here's the thing, you know, when 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 you go down certain rabbit holes, all right, the mind is a powerful thing, and when you, I'm saying, and when you're connected by a belief system, okay. Like, like I said, if somebody, if you're into it and you connect spiritually, right, you will get the benefits. And if yeah. someone, if some, if, if the Latin tongues screaming in your ears, right, and they, and they kind of walk you through the process and they make you believe that this is, that this is going to fix you. For some people, they might actually just believe that this is why they've lost their cravings or something. I don't know. You know, I think the power of belief yeah. is is pretty incredible, and that shit is crazy. I can't even imagine yeah, going through that shit and not going, well, that made a difference. <laughs> yeah. Well, and dude, and I was, dude, I was, I was freshly 17 years old. Like, oh this God. was just yeah. out of a small town in South Carolina. So I was like, this is, all right, then. This is fucking crazy. So, dude, so I got out and it was, they didn't, um, it was a non 12 step. So there was no going to meetings. It was just kind of like, all right, you're healed. Good to go. And within a week I relapsed when I got home. So then after that, uh, I wasn't in school cause I was finishing school, um, at, with a night program and I'd just gotten, um, graduation money. And so like, you know, I've always been a, a, a scringer and a scrounger as far as because I've never I wasn't one of the drug addicts that had like a 40K a year job. Like I came from never having any money. Um, so all of a sudden I had some money and I could use like I wanted to. So I became a prodigious heroin addict. I found out that I got hepatitis C from that very first time I shot up, Ugh. which is like a after school special. Right. Totally. Like literally. And at that time I was like, well, oh, well, like I'll just, you know, I plan on dying anyway. So they have this in South Carolina and I think other places you're allowed to leave home when you're 17, but your parents can't kick you out. So it's kind of like a weird, you have like a year of some weird legal loophole. So I just told my mom, I was like, look, I was dating an older girl. I was like, look, I'm just going to move down with her out of here and I'm just going to go do drugs. I'll, I'll see you later. So they were trying to get me into treatment because I needed to get treated for my hep C, but they won't treat you if you're still using drugs. Go figure, you know, <laughs> crazy doctors and their rules. Oh, unbelievable. <laughs> so um, I spent a summer, uh, got into IV cocaine then and just spent a horrible summer and got this girl on heroin. And of course, it just ended horrifically. And by the end of the summer, I called my parents and I was like, I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, so I moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana to go to a um, 11 month. Uh, intensive treatment center. During that time, um, I started, this was back in 2005, and they still, the treatment for hep C was something called uh, interferon pegasus, which is essentially like a chemotherapy. You inject yourself and you feel like you have the flu for four days, once a week, and you do that for 56 weeks. And uh, 
one out of ten, 10 patients commit suicide as a side effect, Dude. which is crazy. Oh that's insane. God. That's insane. Isn't it though? And so they, they ought they, part of the treatment is they put you on an antidepressant and da, 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 da. So I'm almost a year into this treatment. I'm, I graduate rehab and it's really starting to mess with my mind. I notice I get a girlfriend and I get a chance to go home back to South Carolina for a weekend pass. Right. So I go home and I end up meeting up with the old girlfriend that I ran away with. Um, we ended up sleeping together and I go back, didn't think anything of it. A couple months later, I get a call from her and she says she's pregnant. And so hmm. combined with um, the place my head was at, like I was sober and I wasn't really telling anyone, but I was like losing my, my shit mentally. I'll probably the biggest regret is I, I um, convinced her to have an abortion. I, you know, as much as I have that power, I convinced her to have an abortion. Right. And she went through with it. And when she told me she did, uh, it was impossible to, to hide like my distraughtness. So I had to tell my new girlfriend what had happened. And it was like, she was like, what's wrong? And I was like, Oh, my girl, my ex-girlfriend had an abortion. She's like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Like it was mine. Like I cheated on you. And she just fucking flipped oh, out, threw me out. Dude. <laughs> This and, is why this is why you have to talk to your sponsor first before you're rigorously honest, bro. I don't even think I had a sponsor. No, no, no. I, trust me, I know you were fucking loaded, <laughs> dude. No, well, at this point, I wasn't. Oh, that's that right, that's thing. right. Uh huh, uh huh. Yeah, this is what did it though. <laughs> like, so after that, I was like, well, fuck. If this is sobriety, like, I am out of yep. here. And so went on a mission to kill myself, and all my friends from rehab intervened on me and. Got me back into treatment and the doctors took me off the medicine early. And so I recovered from all that. And this really started the cycle of the, the treatment center. My, they always used to joke that I should do like a, a Fedora's travel guide for rehabs, right? <laughs> I, like I give the food like a 6.2, you know, the lodging a six. So I, I didn't... <laughs> I didn't have a place to live because my parents weren't, you know, in their words, there's no way in hell, like we're risking you overdosing and us finding you like, sorry. So you, you can't live with us. And I was like, nah, okay, I get that. So they would call the treatment centers when I relapsed and they'd be like, well, what do we do? And they'd be like, well, send them to another treatment center. And so I just kind of got stuck in this loop where I would have, you know, I'd go to treatment. 90 days. I'd finish all my treatment centers. And like, there was a desire to want to stay clean, but, I would just get out. My cycle was I would get out, get involved in a relationship, um, let the emotions get the best of me. The relationship would end. I can't handle that kind of, or I didn't want to handle that raw of emotions and I would relapse again. And every relapse would end in these horrible catastrophes. And um, the worst one was I got... Um, Ironically, my doctor prescribed me this stuff that was supposed to be like non-abusable, but I found out if you drink with it, it was abusable. I was living with these two girls from church, bless their hearts, that let me, uh, <laughs> I'd gotten kicked out of my Oxford house and they let me stay with them. And so it was a Sunday night and they were like, hey, we're going to church. You want to come with us? And I was like, no, I'm going to stay here because I had these pills and I had this plan and I was going to take them. I took the pills the 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 only things I remember was I, I went to Walmart because I was going to go steal some DVDs. 
And I got to Walmart and I started feeling, I was like, man, I do not feel right. So I started driving home and like the world started shaking when I was driving. I was like, what is happening? And I get home, I managed to put on my pajama pants. And uh, the last thing I remember was laying down on this couch and seeing uh, Man vs. Wild. Like that was always burned in my mind. And I laid on this big old white leather couch. And that's the last thing I remember. Um, what had happened was I went into something called a, a catatonic seizure. And when I started the seizure, I hit my head on the glass table and busted my head open and then just started slinging blood all over their apartment, all oh. over the couch. So it just looked like this crazy murder scene. Right. <laughs> and I was in a coma for four days. And the crazy part was, um, and they, they told my mom, um, if, if he wakes up, you know, he will have brain damage. Um, this is where I definitely started believing in miracles. Um, but the crazy thing was, so I was in the hospital in the, um, the ICU and there was a, a priest going around, I guess, just praying for people. And when he was over my bed is when I woke up. So the last thing I remember is man versus wild. The next thing I know, I'm opening my eyes and I see three people. I've only been confirmed that the priest was there. And I just see this dude as a priest. So I think I'm dead because I don't know, like, I guess I thought priest heaven or whatever. All right. And so I open my eyes and just start crying and i guess i'm sure i freaked this dude the hell out because he's expect he's just praying over coma patients right and here one just pops up right yeah (laughs) this is fantastic dude (laughs) this is a story (laughs) you're killing me so man I, i i get back into treatment how old are you at this time this that time i was like i think i just turned 20 21 22 Okay, so man, still super young and just super young, super young to death by the disease. And I I think it was something like my constant, like I'm an overdoser. So uh, eight times I've been to the hospital. I'd there was a coma I was in that I'd completely forgot about. One of my podcast (laughs) guests, he was like, Don't you remember that time you were in a coma? And I was like, No. And he was so I I was in a coma. How was I supposed to remember? That's what I'm saying. (laughs) I, I think like. The consequences I was having, they weren't really visceral for me because I fucking don't remember, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it was almost like, and I got, I'm a sick narcissist in the way that the attention that stuff brings you is like very intoxicating. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I got used to living my life in crisis mode where everyone's always worried about Jed. And then when people, when I would get, stabilized then it's like okay we don't have to worry about him anymore and i'm like well wait you know where's all where was all this attention and it was always like you know just it's a ton of attention and like this is uh like retroactively i realized all this but you know i I got in a sick relationship with these like dramatic near-death experiences that that weren't really real to me because i never really you know i always got I always landed on my feet one way or another. And then all I knew was that it just made people really care about me. You know, when you get out of rehab, you, you, you go in looking like hell and then you come out and you've got some weight on you, you've been exercising and everyone's just proud of you. And I really got hooked into that cycle. Yep. I think so it took, I think that's why it took, you know, the next, 
the next step after that, I think I went to a couple more treatment centers and I said, you know, this, I got out and I was like, you know what? Like, screw all this. Like, I don't, y'all have been telling me what to think, when to eat. I don't even believe in drug addiction. I don't think it's a disease. I had all this knowledge about it. And I was like, I don't even believe in this anymore. I think I've just been crying wolf for the attention, but now I don't want it. Now I just want to be left alone. Like the only reason it's a problem is because you're making it a problem. Right. And, um, I'd gotten prescribed Suboxone and Xanax and Adderall and I was selling them. So, so I was financially self-supporting for the first time in my life. And so I called my parents and I was like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> self-supportive as a drug dealer for the first yeah, time dude. they were prescribing you all three of those meds dude it was the most crooked i was on 32 milligrams of subs eight milligrams of xanax and 90 milligrams of adderall per month like the most crooked doctor in the world but god they arrest him yet he died actually. No, the karma that, train hit I like guess. a Isn't motherfucker. That, that is not crazy, dude. That is like uh, as poetic justice. It's I, unbelievable and, just how corrupt it is. Oh, dude. And he yeah, he had a whole yeah. He had a it wasn't just me. I can tell you that. But yeah, I called to get my my uh records for the last time I was in treatment and they're like, "Yeah, he died." I was like, "Whoa." So anyway, so I called my parents and I was like, I don't need your money anymore. Like, this is what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm just going to drink. I'm just going to smoke and I'm going to take Suboxone and like, you know, that's it. We should have a relationship. <laughs> like, and they're like, okay, whatever. And I actually, uh, at first, you know, I, I, I thrived. Um, <laughs> this, I was, this is the sickest I've ever been because I was a drug dealer, but I was trying to practice the principles in drug dealing. <laughs> So like <laughs> I was altruistic, like I was trying to live the principles of the steps while using. And I just had this really weird um, enmeshed life that I thought I was like succeeding because just because I had money and like people liked me because I sold drugs and um, and I wasn't on heroin because I was on Suboxone. So I was like, all right, I have arrived. Like, this is awesome. Uh, and then I found crystal meth. Like that's when this oh, entered the picture man. and I had, n- had no introduction to meth and what the life of like what tweaking is like and everything that that entails. And I ended up meeting the son of a sheriff um, who was stealing guns out of a gun locker and, and selling them to me for dirt cheap. So I, in my meth addled brain, that seems like a great idea. So I started selling stolen firearms and I developed a gambling addiction because all the tweakers hang out at the casino because it's open 24 hours, free drinks. You can smoke and tweak out on the machines. Right. And (laughs) (laughs) the logic. Dude, (laughs) it's a miracle. You're alive, dude. It's you. Dude. crazy so it's an understatement yes so this culminated with i went to the casino one night to cash uh, a bogus check because it's also a check cashing place and it didn't work and i was like well shoot how am i gonna get money and i I looked at the ground and there was a a valet ticket on the ground i was like okay so i picked it up and i went upstairs and i handed them the valet ticket and they handed me some car keys and i was like okay free car and 
so I got into the wrong car at first and tried to start it before, like for 10 minutes before I realized it was in the wrong car. I walked out and I hit the beeper and it was a Dodge 2500 dually bright red truck with an insane clown posse sticker on the back. Like one of those giant vinyl cutout stickers. You didn't take the car. Oh yeah. I took the car. Oh, Absolutely. dude, took the car. how do you miss... How, how do you miss Dude. that? Okay, go, go. Sorry. Okay, go. What the fuck? So, I, 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 maybe two minutes after driving away, and I was like, what are you going to do with this car, Jed? Like, why did you do? What is the plan here? Do you know a guy? Like, what the? what are you thinking? So I drove it across the street, threw the keys in it, and walked home. And, like, forgot all about it, dude. Forgot all about it. It's a Cameras. month later. Yeah, I didn't do. I, I literally, I was like, well, that was weird. And just watched. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a month later. And I, you know, th- at this point, this was a uh, absolute godsend because I'd gotten into uh, research chemicals and I was tripping while, uh, while tweaking and lot, like lots of talking to myself and putting loaded guns in my mouth and just getting really really in a dark 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 place and uh, it was just a sunday morning at nine o'clock um people were supposed to come to buy drugs i get a knock at the door and i'm like customer number one and i open it and it's a big old portly police officer and says are you jed and i was like nope and i tried to shut the door and he reached in and handcuffed me and uh like a genius i had a loaded cocked locked and ready pistol on me so when he turned me around to handcuff me he goes holy shit like he was not expecting that and uh yeah went down for four stolen firearms one firearm with obliterated i had a sawed off shotgun with a (laughs) what am i gonna do with a sawed off shotgun dude shoot somebody dude i yeah that's what sawed off shotguns are for shooting people Oh well, I, well that's I forgot. This is it's, <laughs> <laughs> so I had gotten um, the reason, and this is really what God puts signs in your life like it's time to stop, dude. So I um, I was delivering pizza, and I at the the night this happened. No, I wasn't sober, so that's a lie. The night this happened, though, I was delivering pizza. It was at eleven o'clock at night, and um, uh, on. LSU, Louisiana State University campus. I pull up to an apartment complex. Um, I'm getting the pizza out and someone runs up, puts a gun on my back and three dudes descend on me. I'm like, all right, I'm getting robbed. And they take all my shit. And then I was like, okay, so like now what? And they're like, oh, we got something for your motherfucking ass. And I was like, what? And they led me behind a dumpster and had me lay face down and fucking cocked it. And I was like, oh my God, like this is how I, this is how I die. And uh, then just pistol whipped me in the back of the head and knocked me out. But I like, I was like, holy shit, like, I'm, this is it. Oh. So I got really bad PTSD from that. So Ooh. that's what started me, like, having guns everywhere. So I get arrested and go to East Baton Rouge Parish Prison, which is like, everybody just Google that place. It is wretched. South Louisiana prison, just the worst. I did see, you know who Mystical is? No. The, the rapper? No. Ah, dang. Well, I did see <laughs> Mystical. Maybe some of y'all know who he is. I serve <laughs> Mystical mashed potatoes. That was pretty cool. <laughs> so, so, so at this point in my life, before this, I think I had, I, I had like forgotten how to talk to God. I wasn't sure I even believed. I was trying to not believe in God anymore, and I wound up in prison. 
And I had these three spiritual experiences that just rocked my world and, and really brought me back into recovery. I'll, I'll just go over the first one really quick. How are we looking on time? Fine, dude. Okay. So it, it's, uh, it's so funny how trivial it sounds, but it was so heavy. Well, the first one, I don't know how prison operates. And I was about 130 pounds when I went in. Skinny white boy, one of two white people on my line. Not good. I had long hair. Like, not good. Not good. Got fucked with very quickly. And I ended up, I was detoxing off of everything. So I was super hungry, right? So I, uh, two for one, which is like I borrow one snack and I'll owe you two. So I did that like everybody in my dorm, right? Um, my store ended up not coming in. So long story short, I owe everybody in my dorm money. There's a dude that transferred into our line. He had just got done doing 15 years in uh, maximum security. He liked me and like some very bad things were, were fixing to happen. And nobody had my back because I owed everybody money. So it was, I was laying in my bed at night and I was like, what? I don't know what's going to happen. Like when the lights go out and all I hear is pain, pack your shit, you're moving lines. And I got, so that was number one. I got transferred out. And I was just oh like, my okay. God, dude. So oh. number one, they moved me into the trustee line to, and uh, where you work in the kitchen and you work for free. You work 2.30 in the morning till eight at night, four days on, two days off, awful slave labor. It's rough. So you start out. Um, in the scully and washing dishes. So you wash uh, 3,500 dishes three times a day. Like, which Holy is rough, shit. dude, by yourself. Like, yeah, it's a one-man show. It's the worst job. And you work your way up when people leave or do something stupid to get in trouble. The best job was on the serving line. That's just where you just scoop food yep. and that's it. And so I was like, I was sitting there. Um, about to start washing dishes and I was like God thank you you know for getting me here but I, I'm really going to need your help like to sustain this because like this is tough and I swear not 30 seconds after I did that the CO <laughs> a dude on the serving line had taken a bite out of a peach and just thrown it back in and the CO was like Brumfield get off the line pain move up and just shot me to the best job in the kitchen Oh, my God. So I've just never had a prayer directly answered, like, ever. I don't think like that. And like I said, it sounds trivial, but this feeling that came over me that there, it is. there is absolutely nothing you could have told me at that moment that, that it wasn't God. And I had to run to the bathroom, and I just broke down crying. And I was like, oh, my God, like, whoa. And I just felt like it was one of my reborn moments. And then the last thing that happened before I got out was I had the job where you deliver food around the prison and that gives you access to all the stuff because you can transport stuff for people. And so I would make a little money, like bring in uh, extra food to people and somebody got them to bring me some extra food. And the payment was like two lore tabs. Cause I could go to the medical wing and I brought them back to him. And he was like, here you go, man, here's your payment. And he was going to give me one. And I was like, dude, if I cannot stay sober in here, like, I don't think I can stay sober. So I was like, nah, dude, like you hold on to it. And the next day they drug tested our wing and that guy got sent to lockdown. Oh, I was like, damn. I was like, all right. Like, 
You I think I'm on the right path here. My God. Yeah. That is amazing. Wow. So I got out and stayed sober, and that's not <laughs> I, well, you would think. You would think. <laughs> no, man. not when, no, and I've done 150 yeah. episodes, dude. This yeah, ain't the, dude. this ain't the end. You know, yeah. all the god shots they come at you, and still you go back out and fucking dance. Yep. You know what happened this time was so I got out and I'm on probation. I had I had like all this debt, right? And like God was showing out for me. I had all this crazy debt and a great aunt that I had. I barely knew I even had had died and left me and my sister a bunch of money. And like my mom had known about it for like two years and just didn't tell me. And finally, finally I, yeah, I know. Finally she was like, okay, you have this money. Da, 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 da. So I got to pay off all my debt. Um, I was like nine months sober. Um, this is like one of two times that God just straight took the obsession away from me. No, I didn't have to do anything. Like I just did not want to use at all. And instead of being grateful and maintaining it, I got, I developed like a real serious porn addiction for the, for like the first time in my life. And, uh, I started sleeping around, like treating women, like real, like objects and trash. And, uh, after that, I started, and this, I was living in sober living, and this is kind of, I don't want to say commonplace, but it's there. And I started doing the uh, get crazy jacked on caffeine at, you know, 11 o'clock at night. It's like, what am I really doing there? Like, started taking pre-workout to go to work, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. It's like. Attic, attic shit. Attic yes. Shit. Yep. Straight attic uh, stuff. Straight attic shit. And, um. I got my friend, I tried to 12-step my friend to move him into the house, and he introduced me to something called Kratom. If you, if, I don't know if you've heard of that. Never. So it's, yeah, it's like this head shop thing. It's a plant that's kind of like an opiate, but I didn't know that at the time, and it doesn't show up on drug tests, so I find myself doing this uh, legal drug for a couple months, and then we get caught and kicked out, and I went to the bar the next day with him and we ordered a beer and I looked at the beer and I did, I was like, what am I even doing? I said, I'm not even kidding myself. And I left the beer and I went and called my dope dealer. I was like, I'm, this is like, this is stupid. Like what, a, I'm really going to think that I'm going to moderate anymore. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's go time. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's, and I had all this money again and, you know, so I, I was telling my mom that I was still living at the halfway house. And uh, I held up that lie until I had a quote year sober. And like, because I like she was holding my money. So I had to call her to get it and stuff. And um, things just got really bad, got really bad on IV meth again. And um, same old story, you know, um, except this time I'm on probation that's what I'd gotten from my charges was five years probation and a 10 years federal suspended sentence. Right. So if I screwed up, I'm going away for 10 years. And so that started this fear cycle of like, Oh shit, I relapsed and I can't stop and I don't want to go to jail. So then I would just run to rehab and call my PO from rehab and be like, Hey, I screwed up, but I'm in rehab. So we're good. Right. Like, insurance had been run out. So I'm going to these really rough state funded work release camps and not good places. 
But in 2013, I think that Christmas, I went to this really hardcore place, one of like last stop rehabs and um, had four months clean, got out, went to a halfway house, was relatively doing the deal. And I met, um, that's when I met my now wife. Um, she was in another, it was, it was sober house love. It was halfway house love. <laughs> so <laughs> this is how, this is how it's a good, it's a good story. She, she loves how I tell it. Like, this is how I asked her out. Like I started like any relationship. I started Facebook stalking her. Right. Of course. And, um, but I was like, Oh, she has a boyfriend. And I was standing, uh, standing outside of a meeting that we were both at. And I was listening to her conversation and she was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just broke up with my boyfriend. And I was like, Whoosh! and I just oh, ran yeah. over and I was like, Hey, do you want to like be my movie buddy or something? I need someone to watch a movie. With. Oh, oh my God. Mer- hey, whatever, Mer- man. Mer- whatever works, dude. <laughs> it worked. All right. <laughs> slick. It's very slick. It works uh, if they want it to work. Exactly. They know exactly what the fuck you're and, doing. And, you know, I think buddy. I said it a little more. She's probably listening and laughing her ass off. I'm sure it wasn't more smooth than that. Oh, no. It was something like, hey, so you want to be like my movie buddy? You want to be my, <laughs> <laughs> be my movie buddy? <laughs> oh, dude, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> so we start dating, and I remember... I relapsed and, but now I've got this girlfriend who's sober and I don't want to tell her. And I pick her up from work one night and she says, Hey, you know, I got to tell you something. And I was like, what? And she was like, I relapsed. And I was like, well, do you have any more? (laughs) And so so that started us using together. And, um, Oh man, I think we looked on our, our Instagrams the other day to see it. And in like a, 90 day period we went to rehab together this time three times we we started i mean together we were just awful like we started the relationship both with full-time jobs and a place to live and in one time it was in 29 days we were getting evicted because we didn't have 320 dollars between the two of us 29 days so it was like you know it wasn't going well no and this is where like finally I think this is what helped me get sober is because this last time there really wasn't, well, I say that, but we were just homeless. We would panhandle enough money to get gas, to drive to Walmart, to steal movies, to take to FYE, to sell, to get money, to get high, to go panhandle. And like, that was my fucking life. Wow. Jesus. Rock bottom. Rock bottom, dude. No, at this at this point, no, no one is talking to me. Nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit. And so we decided to go to treatment again. She goes first, like she always does, because I can suffer a little longer than she can. And uh, it was my birthday, and it was it was August twenty sixth. It was the day after my birthday, and she she always says like because we would share our dope and she's like well when you go make sure you do you know you don't have to do all of it and i'm like yeah yeah of course of course and so of course the day after my birthday um that was my my last overdose and i did it while i was driving apparently stopped in the middle of the road like on a busy street and this was my also my last like god punch that like you need to go get help because i had 
a gram of heroin sitting on the gear shift that you have to use. And a police officer drove my car off the road. And when I got out of the hospital, the dope was still there. So I either, yeah. And he had to have seen it or I don't know, either he saw it and had pity or just didn't see it by some reason. So I was like, okay, like this, I got to go. So I drove to um, Lafayette, Louisiana, got into treatment with, everything I owned fitting into a car that I had a title loan on, um, no money, still on probation, girlfriend in rehab. And I was like, I, I don't even know if I can get sober, but you know, let's try it again. And 60 days into it, you know, feeling good, doing good. My girlfriend's doing good. And, um, she gets out, she's at a halfway house and she calls me one day and breaks up with me while I'm in treatment. And, I walked outside and I punched a wall and broke my hand and they had just given me back my driver's license. So I was like, I'm going to the, I'm leaving, I'm going to the hospital, I'm getting some pain pills, fuck this. And I was given a moment of clarity and I was like, whoa, that's how easy I'm willing to do this all over again. Like in a second, I was like, fuck it. And I was like, this is like, I am sick. And so I went in my room and just hashed it out with God. And um, that's the moment I point to when I really surrendered. And I was like, I don't know how to stay sober. And uh, been clean since then. That is fucking amazing, dude. That is, I mean, like, mm. that's a story. And I remember when we did our interview, we kind of touched on it a little bit. And that's when I was like, dude, I got to get you on the fucking show. Cause, yeah, because it 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 baffles the imagination, the level of insanity, and more importantly, not just the insanity aspect of it, but just how much control the addiction has on us. Oh it, man, it talks to us, it controls us, it manipulates us, it lies to us. It's just this this constant uh, being that is surrounding us at all times, and just every move we make, it's just trying to counter. You know, it's trying to figure out how to get back in there and just fuck you over. And I was just like, you know, listening to your story going, dude, the craziness is, is beyond belief. And not only that, I, you know, there was one part where you were talking about how you were doing well, you were dealing drugs, and like, you know, everything was cool, right? You had some money, and you had some yeah. friends, and you were trying to work the program, and you were feeling fantastic, and there was this feeling that you had, you were getting over that's the thing yeah. about us. When we get over, it's a high. Everything mm-hmm. that we do that goes contrary to what we know of as today as spiritual principles and values, when we're able to circumvent that successfully, dude, that's a high. Oh, yeah. That's a high. And there you are, oh, just yeah. circumvent. I'm, I'm dealing drugs, and I'm going to meetings, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working a program. I'm doing it all. I figured out a way to do what other people can't because I'm special. Yes, And it's always exactly. that I need exactly. to wear that hat of I'm fucking special. And the reality is it's just you're just wearing a dunce cap because yeah. it's got you. It's got you exactly where it needs to have you. Oh, and I forgot the uh, well, and I say that I got sober like I like I didn't do anything. But and I forgot the uh, so me and, and my girlfriend, we're now married and she has um, her sobriety. dates two days before mine. And when, you know which I don't necessarily recommend. And I tell people, you know, what we did is we, we stopped being physical for the first two months. We went to relationship therapy 
she worked her program. I worked mine. And that was like the most important thing. And like, we didn't, we didn't, which is a shocker this day, but we didn't even live together until we got married, which is crazy. <laughs> like, Not for us. That's how we made it work. Right. Well, it makes sense. It makes sense mm-hmm. because, you know, when you go outside of your own thinking, when you ask for suggestions, you take those suggestions and you seek that outside help, right? To assure that you're going in the right direction. Then that's also part of the spiritual element. That's part of bringing God into the mix. I go to somebody else and I say, hey, listen, I don't know how to do this. I need help, right? Yeah. That's connecting with higher power. Absolutely. That's what it is. When I'm by myself going, I think I got this. And, 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 you know, I think, I, you know, if I turn left here and then turn right over here and then put this over here and then light this up, dude, we're good. We're golden. Yeah, we're right? golden. You're, you're, yep. The fucking, you know, the mad scientist. It's always the mad scientist, regardless of whether it's not it's porn addiction or it's food addiction or it's sex addiction or it's drugs and alcohol, whatever the case may be. Once we remove the connection between ourselves and the people that can help us the most, right? We also remove the spiritual element. That's what most of us don't get. When you're on your own, you've disconnected, not just from the community, but you've connected from spirit. You know, it doesn't matter how much you pray, man. You know, it knows it's got you. It knows it's got you. Right. And so that's the crazy thing, dude. So, so now there's, you know, you guys, you make it, you know, the, the, how long you guys been married now? Uh, we just made a little over a year. Okay. So you guys have been married for a year. So, and you got three years, you've got three years clean and sober. You've been married successfully for over a year. Um, you've done all the things that you were supposed to do. You dodged about 3,700 bullets, right? Uh, you've developed an incredible connection with a higher power. When does the idea for church and other drugs come into play? So I think that was so the the cool story with that too is the the my, my co-host was um the guy that I had my first uh awakening drug experience with way back in middle school right but, but he got sober 8 years ago and has been trying to 12 step me ever since and um so he was a big part of me getting sober again this time and I'd gotten a job working outside by myself where I could just listen to headphones and I got into um listening to podcasts for the first time cuz I didn't even really know what that was and after a while um me and him were me and um Jay were just like yeah let's just start a podcast because well, I, I had had the idea and they don't believe me <laughs> but like I had the idea I was like I want to tell war stories like or at least like do like a comedy thing and then my friend was like oh you mean like dopey and i was like what are you talking about like dopey (laughs) and you didn't even hear you hadn't heard about dopey had you no dude i hadn't and i listened to it and i was like sons of bitches right (laughs) um it's funny you said that because as soon as you said that i go wait a minute that sounds like dopey yes dude i was so pissed i was so pissed um but so me, me and my friend, we, we lived in this weird space where we were both members of Alcoholics Anonymous. We were both Christians. We didn't quite fit into the typical Christian mold, though. And, you know, you can't talk about specific. Um, we had issues with AA. We had issues with church. We also think church should be like AA. And there's parts of uh, AA that need the church. And so we're like, well, let's form this meeting of meeting of the minds and uh, just have some good discussion. And 
we didn't even really expect it to be like a helpful thing at first. So we were just kind of being entertaining and we just quickly learned that, uh, that we had stumbled upon a good, a good little niche. And, um, I just threw the myriad of treatment centers I've been to. I have this endless list of, of really good friends that have crazier stories than I do. So I just get them on to oh tell God. their stories. Man. How is that even possible? Dude, I do. <laughs> Like, I've met people that have shot themselves in the face with a shotgun and they're still alive. Like uh, loco stuff. I actually, I actually do know one. I actually do know one that made it. It's unbelievable. That is yeah. insane, dude. That's another God thing. You know, I was just, I was just talking to Chris and Dave today, just out oh, of the yeah? blue. Yeah. They called me out of the blue today. As a matter of fact, they were just, Chris is like, I saw you online. So I just called you. <laughs> like, dude, you guys are out of your fucking minds i love you know? them oh no they're great they're great and it's funny because i remember when they asked me to be on their show um and i'm like oh this sounds interesting dopey what a fucking name right <laughs> and then i go and i listen to it and i go i'm not gonna be on this fucking show this fucking <laughs> shenanigans this is unbelievable like i was like almost offended right actually i was offended and i remember for a while and then, uh, and then uh, I was quitting the gambling business. I was oh, that's right. I was getting out of the gambling business, and I go, you know what? You need to stop being a self righteous asshole, you know. And so I, I hit those guys up, and uh, they're like, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do this. And then I got on there and just tore it up, man. I was just like, I know, I'm that's just, what I'm saying. I'm just gonna let this all out, and let it go, because I need brought to. the debauch. Yeah, I did, I did, <laughs> and it felt fantastic, you know, doesn't it? It and does. since then, we've been great friends. I had them on the show. We had a spectacular time on an interview. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think that what we've discovered, we've all stumbled on this accidentally. You know, they did, yeah. you did, I did. We, it was all accidental that we yeah. just decided that, I know, I'm just going to do a recovery podcast. And then what happens is, you know, as you go along and you get a few of these moments where people are inspired by it and you get these emails from oh, people yeah. going, dude, this is, I mean, thank you so much for this podcast. You helped me so much. And you're like, whoa, like, yeah. man, okay, yeah. now I know why I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's really cool that like, now it's like, it's just so crazy to me that like, I'm friends with this dude in Costa Rica and yep. these two dudes in upstate New York. And it's just like, you know, like it, it's just life is, that's what the, the coolest thing about sobriety is. I was telling a kid this today. It's like when I was using, I can tell you with absolute certainty what I am doing today, tomorrow, the next day, the day before I can tell you that. But with sobriety, I have no idea what can happen tomorrow. And yes. it's awesome. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, uncertainty uncertainty has become so valuable right oh, uh, you know so we, we 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 you know for so long i guess the inevitable truth of what inevitably could happen to us if we continue down this road right like like you said a few times mentioned in your story how dark the places that you got, how dark they were and how bleak it was, right? And so, and, and how many times you tried to commit suicide yeah. because what you saw was like, it's going to happen anyway, so why don't I just end the chaos and the pain and the wreckage and the suffering? The suffering, yeah. I think, is the, is the key word there. You know, let me just end the suffering right now. Um, and then you get sober 
And of course, at first, there is that uncertainty of what recovery is going to bring, which ultimately you teeter-totter for a while and you relapse and this and this and that. But then you have a few spiritual awakenings and you're like, you know what? I think I'm done manning the ship. I think I'm done. I think I'm just going to let go here. Right, And I'm just going to keep moving forward doing this stuff because this is bringing some amazing results. And I'll just worry about taking action and, le- and leave the results in God's hands. That's a amazing way to live, dude. That's what's up. That is absolutely what's up. So what's the big plans then for, for church and other drugs? Or do you have a big plan? Or you know, are you just coasting right now? Like how many episodes you guys got? Uh, we're on... Uh, 56 right now. So we're just, yeah, man, we're, um, so you just passed a year. Yeah. Just passed a year, just steady growing. And, um, I think we finally, well, a while ago, I feel like we, we hit our stride, man. And, um, just, just having fun and, and, and helping people at the same time, man. It's just, it's really, and like, just on a selfish personal level, getting to have some really badass conversations and talk about stuff that I want to talk about and just stuff I'm interested in. It's just, it's just cool, man. Well, I don't know about, I don't know about you, but I have, I'm so engrossed in recovery, right. On a daily, uh, for any number of reasons, it's either me on a podcast interview or me being interviewed or me being in the share, you know, Facebook community that's not got, it's got over 4,000 people in it. You know what I mean? Like the recovery is just a constant, right? Like I don't think ever about getting high. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, can't, I can't remember the last time I was like, oh God, I really need a meeting. Really? I really need a meeting. I got go because I have this routine of like a Tuesday night men's meeting that I go to, a Saturday morning AA meeting that I go to in, in Eskazoo, right? I have weekly interviews and I have this this routine of recovery that keeps me very centered. So, you know, it's funny when, uh, if I stop to think about it, I go, wow, you know, when was the last time I had, like, had an urge to use, right? And it's like, wow, I can't, I can't remember. And that's a beautiful place to be, man. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a beautiful place to be. Yeah. For so, sure. so um, let's start shutting it down. Um, yeah. And let's start. And, and the way I like to close down is for the newcomers. So I'm going to ask you five questions about your early recovery. And I want you to respond with inspiring answers you can share with our newcomers. Are you ready? All right. Sounds good. Let's do this. All right. So number one, what was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery? Uh, reservations, man. It, it was still fun. <laughs> <laughs> in, in my sick little way dude the uh the consequences of not taking a drink had not yet outweighed the consequences of taking a drink yeah you know that reminds me of too of what you were saying too earlier about the chronic relapsing and overdosing and the attention seeking you know and how that played such a huge role you were addicted to the attention And as long as you were in a relapse cycle, yeah. And so all this attention, then as soon as you're better, everybody just goes away. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a lot of that. I notice a lot of that even in in like the Facebook group. You know, there's that relapse and they go and then all of a sudden you get like 30, 40 posts, right? You can do this. You're all right. Blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, they're like, thank you guys. And I'm going to do it this time. And I'm going to go to a meeting. And then a week goes by, they get forgotten about two weeks later. I did it again. And that's all they write. That was me, man. Yeah. 
And not that there's anything wrong with that, but yeah, we, for me, and it's, and it's because it, you know, and every time I do my fear inventory, my number one root of everything is my fear of being alone, man. And that's, yeah. what that, that's what that comes down to. Yes. And I, and I, I think that, yeah, I wanted to emphasize that. I wanted to emphasize that because some people are going to listen to this, like some of the people that are in the group, and they're yeah. like, fucking, oh, man, he's yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. me. Yeah, no, you're, asshole. you're totally cool, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, guys, listen to this interview. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm calling I mean, yeah, you just, out. I'm calling yeah. you out. I know what you're doing. You're attention yeah. seeking. You love it. Every time I go in there and I post about how I relapsed, everybody comes to my rescue and tells me how, you know, oh, you can do this, keep moving forward, instead of actually taking the suggestions that are, are provided. Yeah. Because after three years, after three years, right, thousands of members in the group, right, there's very few posts in there where relapse is part of the process. You know what I mean? It's yeah. more like, hey, it happens. I hear you, right? But mm-hmm. here, let's go. Here's, here's, what, here's what we did. You know, let's let's follow along this path. So anyway, I'm, enough with me, guys. I don't mean to offend. I don't mean to offend. I love you guys, but I know what you're doing. All right. So number two, at what point did you have a spiritual awakening, that aha moment in recovery, when you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but for the first time had developed the hope that you could recover? Uh, probably that. I mean, I've had a bunch, but probably I'll, I'll use the most recent one of, of what happened at, at rehab when I broke my hand and, and I, I had that moment of clarity that I that I do not want to get high anymore and, and that I actually think I can. Um, things really did change from that from that experience from then, like the my outlook on the world was was vastly different. It, it's amazing how those those moments. Right. Some of those are so powerful. Right. And it's in that moment where you're like, holy shit. This is the yeah. exact moment where I fuck up my life and I'm not going to do yeah. it this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not yeah. going to do that's I love it. I love it. All right. Do you have any uh, favorite book you would recommend to a newcomer you read in early recovery? Ooh, uh, I really like um, everything Nick Chef did, especially the one about his relapse. Uh, we all fall down. He did um, Crank. Oh, you ever the, read that? The movie Crank? Or no, 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 no. There's a book named Crank? <laughs> yeah. Or fuck is it crank or tweak i think it's crank i don't know i saw a movie crank it was terrible yeah. well uh, <laughs> it was uh terrible. It's, it's called we, we all fall down by, okay. by nick jeff okay all right perfect all right and um number four what is the best suggestion you have ever received Ooh. um jeez, that's a freaking tough one probably um that you don't have to use if you don't want to. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Which is it's it's such a a simple cliche, but if you think about it, it's like, oh, I I don't <laughs> like because right, right. there are times. Yeah, I mean, when, once obviously once you once you're placed in a position of neutrality, that is, you you are free. You have a choice, man. You 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 don't. It's not like uh, these days I don't have to worry about screwing up my life anymore. Like I don't have to do that like I used to have to. Beautiful. Okay, finally, number five. If you could give our newcomers only one suggestion, what would it be? Give yourself an actual chance to see if you like being sober, you know, at least a year, you know, and and just just commit to that year, your job being I'm going to get sober. And like that's what I had to do. And I made it a two-year commitment. I was like, 
I worked a minimum wage job, man. I, and, and, and things happened so much quicker than two years, but it was that commitment of like this, I'm going to take this time to just get sober and like, and that's enough. Beautiful. Beautiful. I did the same thing. I said, I'm going to give myself a year. And if I don't get anything out of this thing, yeah, fuck cause it, you can I'm, always I'm go out. back. Yeah. You don't it's, realize nobody, nobody, right. Who hasn't done this yet has any idea the power of one year clean. Oh, it's, it's, that's what, and I, I would always say, man, I, I tried being sober. I hated it. Cause it was like, I'm two months, dude, you're barely detoxed. Yeah. Like that does not, <laughs> you know, not that too much isn't something special, but I'm saying like, give it some, some real time for some real miracles to happen. Absolutely. So Jed, please tell us and tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you and find your podcast. Yeah, uh, I, I do always say if anybody ever needs any uh, help, we're at churchandotherdrugs at gmail.com, uh, always available, and find us on iTunes, Spotify, uh, all the usual podcast avenues, and churchandotherdrugs.com. All right, Jed, thank you so much, man, for those great suggestions, and thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you, Oh, and uh, yeah, everybody check out Church and Other Drugs. Perfect, beautiful. All right, we have now reached the end of our show Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.